<laughs> Sorry about that. I think I nodded off there for a little while. Let's see. It's been uh, three months. What have I been doing? Oh, my God. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and today I'm back. <laughs> so to say it's been a hot minute is a bit of an understatement. So welcome back to this podcast where I talk about what it means to be transgender. I am a transgender person. Uh, at the moment of recording, it is, what, May 3rd? Sure. I, 2019. I am almost a full year on hormone replacement therapy. So I know a, a, a few things about being trans, I guess. I don't know why I'm going over my credentials here. Actually, yes, I do. Let's get right the heck into that. Hello. The podcast is part of a network now. I am very happy to announce that today in this timeline right now, in this moment in history, Trans Questioning Podcast has joined the Lunar Light Studio. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. So a few weeks, a month ago... Some quantity of time in the past from where I currently stand in my timeline, Lily Blue Linux and Haley Rose invited me to guest on their podcast, The Good Boys Girls, and we had a great time talking about the McElroys uh, and the politics thereof. It was, it was a fun podcast to be on, and we hung out for a while. Before and after that, I also was on a charity live stream that Lily was on, and we talked and hung out, hung out, hanged out. And uh, so they are the co-owners slash founders. Uh, Lily is the founder. Haley is the co-owner of the Lunar Light Studio Network, and they like this show, and they offered to invite me onto their network. Here's the deal. So the updates on this podcast, as you may have noticed, are inconsistent, owing in no small part to the fact that I also run a YouTube channel that eats up a lot of my time. And I love this podcast, and I didn't want it to go anywhere, but as you, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I've been struggling with sort of an existential crisis with the show, trying to figure out what exactly it wanted to be after I started transitioning. So I spent a lot of time reflecting once I was offered to join the network. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a choice that I would rush into and that I wasn't sacrificing some essential aspect of the show. And... Ultimately, the show isn't really going to change that much, if at all, besides becoming more consistent. The benefits for me are that there are logistical back-end aspects of the show that I no longer have to deal with. The network covers hosting costs and various other things, and that makes my life a lot easier, a little less stressful. And there's also advertisements which is a nice sort of thing. And I'm I'm of a multitude of minds about advertisements. I don't love them. But we live 
under capitalism. We live in a society, y'all. I don't know if you knew this. And I got to pay bills. Is this me selling out? I don't know. I already beg for money in every episode of the show. So like, no, it's not. And right now I'm just going to be promoting other podcasts on the network and they're all pretty good. So it's not you just you could stick around and check out other shows when I recommend them to you, because that's a good thing for you to do to support other people. The network is really cool. There's lots of different kinds of podcasts. We'll get into that a little bit later. For now, I just want to say that it's pretty dang rad that I get to do this, I guess. This is a podcast that I just sort of started on a whim. And the fact that it has become something that people enjoy and built up enough of an audience and enough of a reputation that I am in a position where I can expand the platform and hopefully reach more people and help people reach more other types of podcasts. That's really exciting to me because ultimately as an artist, I don't like doing things alone. I like to collaborate and joining this network really helps open up possibilities for collaboration. So, okay, what is materially changing? Honestly, not a whole heck of a lot. I already kind of hinted at this structure. Hinted is not the right term. I straight up just said what the structure was going to be in the previous episode, but it was more of a proposition then, whereas now it is just a fact of our existence. There's a lot of cars driving by today. It's a it's a dang Friday at three in the afternoon. Nobody's got places to be. Anyway, the podcast is going to be weekly now, every Monday. And here is the structure. So this week is just me talking at you right now. Uh, we're going to go through some uh, long overdue emails and curious cat questions here in a bit. But generally speaking, this and every other week after this is just going to be me talking about whatever, maybe addressing questions, maybe telling stories or updating you about my transition. Generally, like traditional trans questioning podcast content. Next week and every other week after that is going to be a special episode, I guess is what I'm calling it in my brain right at this particular moment. But there's it's not, I guess, but I don't know. Basically, those episodes are going to be guest episodes. So basically, those episodes will be me and May or me interviewing somebody else or potentially some other stuff. So in the last couple of months since the podcast been off, I have been recording certain episodes. I've had a couple of different conversations with people. I actually gave a lecture to a college class that I recorded, and it actually fits with the with the theme of the podcast. So I'm going to edit that, and that's probably going to come out here in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I've got I've got a pretty hefty backlog built up at the moment, and there's a lot of really cool things on the horizon as far as guests and stuff. Frankly, that just sounds fun. I'm excited for the future of this podcast because it's crystallizing as a format, and that is a good thing from where I am sitting. So to symbolize this change, this new form, this evolution, this... 
form. I was trying to go for a Dragon Ball Z joke, but I kind of already made it. I commissioned new cover art for the podcast, which you can see by looking at the podcast wherever you're listening to it from. This art is by Dear Witch on Twitter at D E E R V V I T C H. A while back after a stream, they offered to make me a fursona, and I said, heck yes. And then we started talking, and I love their art so much that I just want to commission them to do a bunch of different things. So when I knew that this was happening, that I was coming on the Lunar Light Network, I wanted to have some new art to symbolize the new phase of the show. So I commissioned Deer Witch, and they're super cool. You should go find them on Twitter and give them your money. Give them your money. Have them make you art and give them your money. And yeah, with that said, guess what, everybody? I've I've just been basically giving you a news drop of all of the logistical stuff that makes very, very boring podcasting, which means it's time to transition into my first ever ad break. The first podcast I want to tell you about is Badvertising. Badvertising records the conference calls of the ad firm of Parker, Lennox, and Rose, who are three very qualified and very good advertising geniuses, and they come up with new advertising campaigns for brands that are already pretty well established, but definitely do need some revamping. Their most recent episode, of course, uh, in my timeline anyway, episode 10, <laughs> involved them creating a new uh, WWE promotion slash surfs up sequel called Christmas Mania that it was also a uh, Christmas Carol thing. And that episode featured Patrick Gill of Polygon.com. Advertising is absolutely hilarious and just good old-fashioned improv humor. They've done episodes about the Apple Block, McDonald's Fryer Festival, Chuck E. Cheese for All Ages, Asynchronist Movie Corporation, and many, many more. You can find Badvertising on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or anywhere else that you get your podcast, or at LunarLightStudios.com. And the next podcast I want to tell you about is The Good Boys Girls. This is a podcast hosted by Lily Blue and Haley Rose, about two girlfriends who really like the McElroys. And I think it's pretty obvious why I chose to promote that particular podcast in this, my first foray into the Lunar Light family. Each episode of The Good Boys Girls is a deep dive into a single McElroy property. The idea being to look at the history and influence of each particular show and also its importance in the relationship of Haley and Lily. A personal favorite of mine is episode 16, The Politics of the McElroy Brothers, featuring Sarah Zedig. No, that can't, that's not the one. A personal favorite of mine is episode 18, about Rose Buddies, which they use as an excuse 
is to just read the chat logs of their first conversations before they started dating. And it's really cute and embarrassing and wonderful. And I love it. And you should go listen to it right this very second. Not not, not right this very second. Let's finish this episode first. And you can find the good boys and girls over at LunarLightStudios.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. And we're back. So, in the 17 centuries since the last episode of this podcast that I did, and if you were worried that a lot of things were going to change, uh, no, I still have mouth sounds. So, on that front, this is a wild tangent. I think I figured out why I am so prone to mouth sounds, and it's because, generally speaking, they are caused by, they can be caused by dehydration. And I'm on Spiro, which is a diuretic which means I'm always dehydrated. Plus, I drink lots of coffee, which is also a diuretic. (laughs) So don't worry. We haven't gotten that professional here at the Trans Questioning HQ. (laughs) TQHQ. Anyway, in the time since this podcast last updated, I've got a bunch of different questions that I have not answered. So we're going to burn through some of those as fast as we can, which means... Probably not very fast at all, because it's still me. As always, if you have questions, thoughts, comments, etc., you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send an anonymous question over at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning. So first up, this is an anonymous question. I'm a bi teenager, and I always thought I was a cis girl and just tomboyish which is partially code for having body image issues because I'm positive I'm not a boy. But when I was around 13, learned that not, uh, learned about non-binary identities and like that kind of fits. I'm not upset if anybody thinks I'm a girl, calls me a girl, or uses she, her pronouns for me, but they, them pronouns fit better. I think I might be a demi-girl or genderqueer or maybe gender fluid, but I'm also partially convinced I'm just doing it for attention slash to be special, even though I felt like I'm not exactly a girl for over a year now. I feel like if I actually use any resources for AFAB people, that's assigned female at birth, I'm going to be hogging it from someone who actually needs it. Since I thought I might not be cis, I've been telling myself that if I was just pretty, then I'd feel like a girl, and it's just that I'm ugly, which I logically understand is bullshit, but also subconsciously I can't stop feeling that if I had better teeth, slash less acne, slash wore makeup, I wouldn't get the bit of dysphoria slash the load of dysphoria. Dysmorphia I have anymore. And when I think about my dysphoria, I think that maybe it doesn't count because I've been uncomfortable with uh, uh, my being a girl, specifically the boobs, for so long I'm kind of numb to it. This is too long being written sent at 1 in the morning, so I'm probably incoherent as fuck. I'm really sorry. Don't apologize for sending me a message. That's what this curious cat is for. And for the record, you are not incoherent at all. So this dovetails a lot with a lot of things that I talk about a lot on this podcast. A lot, a lot, a lot. Just going to wear that phrase down as much as possible. I want to get the obvious stuff out of the way first. Dysphoria is not something that is like textbook diagnosable necessarily. The shape that it takes for you is different for everybody. If you have dysphoria slash dysmorphia and you feel like identifying as non-binary fits for you, 
then that's all that really matters. The resources that are out there exist for you just as they exist for everybody. And you have just as much a right to them as anybody else. So don't feel guilty for having the identity that you do, because that's not really productive. Because the goal here is not to reach some sort of objective, like, quantifiable identity end goal. Uh, The goal here is for you to feel more comfortable in your body and in the world around you. So if that means asking people to refer to you by they, them, or to take advantage of whatever resources you have around you, then fucking do that. Dang it. Now, I find it interesting that you say you think your dysphoria doesn't count because you've grown numb to it. That, to me, sounds like what dysphoria does. Please remember that I didn't start transitioning until I was 28. Actually, no, I didn't start HRT until I was 29. So when I say that I was in the closet for a long time, that's a complicated thing to talk about because I wasn't consciously in there. I didn't know that I had the ability to transition or that I could be transgender, but I did suffer from dysphoria for sure. I just didn't know what it was. And eventually I reached a point where I decided that I couldn't do anything about it, and that it was pointless to tear myself up over it. So I made myself numb to it. And it wasn't until years later that I decided to do something about it. And I wish that I had recognized much sooner what that dysphoria was and done something about it. So the fact that you're numb to it doesn't make it less real or count less. If anything, that's a pretty textbook thing for how dysphoria works. And probably a good indication that your doubts are not as well-founded as you might think that they are. Part of the reason that I wanted to address this question first is that since the previous episode that I did, I have publicly come out as non-binary myself. And I know in a previous episode, way, way back, I referred to myself as genderqueer. And I guess those are both indistinguishable for me personally. And so I guess really not much has changed there, but coming out as non-binary helps me to sort of conceptualize myself and step away from the expectations that I have about my body and my place in society, I guess. I still generally go by she, her pronouns and refer to myself as like a trans woman or a trans girl, although I also say trans person more frequently, and I don't mind being called a woman, that sort of thing, because I still identify more closely with the femme side of the spectrum, but I just don't feel like I am on that spectrum necessarily in any consistent or uh, reliable fashion. And I keyed in specifically on your use of the term tomboyish because... Growing up, I've realized this recently, growing up, one of the the things that I always wanted to be was a tomboy, which is really bizarre, I think, as like, I always wanted to be a lesbian and I always wanted to be a tomboy, which like, if you're a cis dude, that seems like what you kind of just are, right? I mean, in terms of like material things that you do. 
but it was it, but it's how you position yourself in those relationships in that relationship with yourself and with other people so i got to move on i hope that that does something to address your situation um you're not ugly and you're not going to fix yourself by thinking that oh if you were just pretty you're awesome the way that you are and you deserve everything that you can do to make yourself feel better about yourself and your place in the world as it stands today. All right, next question, another anonymous one. I'm a closeted trans girl with herpes, and I just feel like giving up most days, afraid of the whole transition journey and feeling gross and no one wanting me. Even if I do it, I'm too challenged to complete college, and I will lose all financial support if I come out to the family. Financial ruin scares me. I'll have my mom, I'm pretty sure, friends, and a whole community at my back to support me, but sometimes life is just so much mood. I'm just so scared and overwhelmed. Anything you can tell this sad girl. This is a tough question because I don't have herpes. I don't have any STI as far as I know. And I don't know a ton of people who do. I don't think I know anybody who is at least open about it. And this is this is a this is a touchy issue because we have some really bad ideas about like infection and shit that makes people feel and it's like people who have herpes like you are just as much deserving of love and you're not like a radioactive person there are precautions but these are not difficult um this is actually something that I have reckoned with. I've read a number of like personal accounts from people who are like HIV positive or have other other otherwise have STIs and I um and and still date people and I had to ask myself like would I be okay dating somebody who has an STI and the answer that I came up with is like yeah you know, as long as I'm aware of it and we take proper precautions, I don't see why not, because it's not about the disease that you have or the ailment that you have. I'm sorry if my language is a little bit coarse here. This is not something that I'm used to necessarily talking about. But like the person who you are is not affected by your ailment and the people who love you should love you regardless of that. I know that that's a pretty, um, that's an easy thing to say and that reality is much more difficult. And we have some pretty deeply entrenched ideas about the kind of people who would have herpes or other STIs. And that's nonsense. And I don't really know how one goes about addressing those besides, I guess, just talking more openly about it. Because it is a pretty common thing, and uh, it's complicated, it's difficult, and it's not... I, I'm not the right person to, like, spearhead that conversation, I guess. Like, that whole aspect is up to you, and I wish you the best of luck in that regard. I know it's difficult and complicated, but I do want to point out something that I find interesting in your question, which is that you face financial ruin if you come out 
And there's a lot of uh, uh, scary stuff involved in that. But then you immediately tell me that you have your friends and probably your mom and a quote unquote whole community. I know that I tend to overgeneralize when I talk about this sort of thing. When I say I have a whole community, oftentimes I'm referring to like two people. But I'll be honest when I say that it doesn't sound like you are as without support as you maybe think that you are. And I'll also say that this, again, as it so often does, comes back to putting your personal sense of agency and feeling like you're comfortable in your own body behind the needs of the people around you and the expectations of the people around you. That is just going to lead to you having regrets. And it is dangerous to come out and start transitioning and you could lose a lot of financial support. And that's a question that you have to weigh for yourself. I'm not about to tell you that like, yeah, you should do it. Just do it. Just do it. Cause it's not that simple for everybody. And that sucks. But I'll say that generally speaking, there are always ways to make money. Um, transitioning can impede that in a lot of ways. And that's the thing that you have to, way for yourself a lot i know a lot of trans people who are stealth during their transition and that sucks but you got to do what you got to do and if it if coming out and being yourself means having to do that on a more consistent basis i mean that's still you being out to yourself and to the world and facing the consequences of that could be better than where you are right now, right? I'd also say that you say you're too challenged to complete college. I wonder what that means. So that could mean that you have learning disabilities. That could mean that you have like chronic pain or fatigue or any number of other issues that make it difficult for somebody to finish college. And there's also the question of what your potential focus would be in college and like what the usefulness of that would be. I'll just say that it took me eight years to finish college. So you can take it at your own pace. You're allowed to just do like one to two classes as best you can. There are online degrees that you can do online courses. It isn't as impossible as perhaps it seems like. But also, college might not be for you, and that's totally fine. The point is that you shouldn't give up, and there are paths for you to take, and it's up to you to investigate them and find them for yourself, unfortunately. I wish that I could help more in this regard, but you don't have a death sentence hanging over your head, and my advice more than anything is just that don't do something for other people because you don't want them to dislike you when you're the one who has to live your life from now on. And if it's something that you're going to regret not doing, that's nobody else's business but yours. So it's up to you to figure out where you fall in that equation and what your priorities are. And only you know your situation. So uh, again, I wish you the best of luck in that regard. All right, this is an email from Rye. I broke up with my partner several months ago, and I've come to terms with it for the most part, but there's one thing I just keep coming back to mentally. I should preface this by saying that I'm an AFAB NB, and my partner was a closeted trans woman. 
Toward the end of our relationship, she started asking me to put my clothes back on after we had sex. She explained that it made her dysphoric to see my body. At first, I was a little hurt by this, but I did it because I didn't want to make her feel bad. But after a while, it started to make me feel really bad about myself. The more I thought about it, the more it hurt me that because my body was female, she couldn't see it outside of a, cons- uh, outside of a sexual context. It made me incredibly dysphoric to know that she was viewing my body through that lens, even if she wasn't trying to. But she didn't really want to listen when I tried to explain that to her because discussing anything about gender made her uncomfortable. Eventually, it became the subject of many fights, and we broke up due to that and several other issues. I'm not really looking for a decision on who was right, but because I'm most comfortable dating other trans people, I was wondering if you had any idea how to handle this situation better. Like, obviously, there were communication problems in the relationship, but what would be the appropriate response to a your dysphoria makes me dysphoric situation? Do you think something like that would make the relationship impossible? So hey, everybody, guess what? I'm in a relationship now. I got a girlfriend and you're actually going to hear from her in next week's episode because she visited me here and we recorded an episode together. So that's going to be next week. Anyway, this is a conversation that we've had a little bit. And when we met up, we were expecting this to be more of an issue than it ended up being like the idea of our bodies triggering each other's dysphoria. And while this didn't really happen for us, it is something that I have thought about a little bit. And I don't want to say that something like this inherently makes a relationship impossible. But like any relationship, you have to be willing to talk about these things and like address them. And there is a vulnerability in accepting that sometimes you can be wrong. There was a previous episode where I talked about the fact that I misgendered Elliot, who's a trans man. And this is a thing where, I mean, I host disgusting podcasts. I talk about trans non-binary issues all the dang time, and I still find myself misgendering people based on how they look. This is a thing that is very difficult to deprogram and Unfortunately, no matter how consciously enlightened we might think we are, there are still countless unconscious biases that storm around us all hours of the day that are painful and can hurt other people. So if a person has this problem, has this like unspoken inability to see you as non-binary when you have an assigned female at birth body, if, they, if they're unwilling to have a conversation about that bias, that's kind of a non-starter. And you can try to meet them in the middle and, you know, it's different for every relationship. I'm not about to say that like, okay, automatically you have to break up with them. But generally speaking, if that conversation is a non-starter, ultimately that puts you in a position where you are always going to be hurt by whatever it is that happens between you two. My experience is that the solution here is something akin to exposure therapy of just being around each other's bodies for a while and just not flinching away from them. And that's really hard to do, but eventually you stop seeing what you imagine you're seeing when you see a body and you just see the other person. And lastly, I'll just say that, like, it sounds like breaking up was the right choice in a specific situation. And no, I'm not about to say who is right and wrong, but you have to eventually make a choice that is healthiest for you. And if people aren't willing to meet in the middle, 
you got to move on. You got to find somebody who is. And so ultimately, I think this advice, like most of the advice I give, is just take it on a case by case basis. Be honest. Talk about your feelings and don't be afraid to say things that maybe might hurt people's feelings because sometimes you got to say things that sound mean, but are revealing of bad things about yourself that you then are able to work through together. Yeah. I don't know. So this is a fun email that I've been sitting on for a little while and I'll go ahead and say a content warning for, I guess, talking about genitals. So if that's the thing you don't want to hear about, then, uh, stop listening i guess so here it is there's my break for you to peace out if that's what you want to do to be honest and this is an anonymous email to be honest if srs that's sex reassignment surgery allowed me to like have a vagina but instead of losing my penis it'd just be there as a comedically large clitoris i'd do it When I first came to the conclusion that I'm trans, I landed on bi-gender for that reason. I absolutely don't talk about this with almost anyone because it's because I fear it's too off the beaten path and I'm going to be looked down on from trans people and cis people alike. But this podcast is the one that asked for off-brand trans thoughts. So here I am. Wee. I really, (laughs) I really like uh, Gmail's suggested replies, which are got it. Got it, comma, thanks, and thanks, none of which are terribly appropriate as responses to this email. So I'll be completely honest here that in an ideal world, as far as my bodily genital distribution, I would be able to switch back and forth at will, I guess. That's something that I have found myself over the years fantasizing about relatively consistently is the ability to switch back and forth between uh, AMAB and AFAB, I guess. And that's probably a sign, actually, that I should have heeded that, yeah, I probably was non-binary. Interesting. I think this sort of fear that you have about, like, I don't want to talk about this in public because people would, like, look down on me. I kind of fucking hate that, honestly, because this is about as harmless of a conversation topic as one could possibly be, because the thing that you're describing isn't really possible. It's not a thing that that ha- is, is, is like it's not a thing that medical science is capable of at the moment. So it's harmless. Like me saying, I wish that I could switch back and forth between male and female that's not gender treason. <laughs> That's like the, the mental exercise of if you could press a button and become a fully biological woman, would you do it? It's it's a mental exercise and nothing more. And it's OK to have that thought and just sort of like dwell on it. And it does reveal things about you that are true. And that's good and OK. I mean, this dovetails with like. I have described myself as furry adjacent. Now we're getting into that real deep shit. When I say I'm furry adjacent, I'm not even really sure what that what that means anymore. Besides the fact that I've just 
consistently looked at furry art for a long, long time, and I've never really engaged in the community, but I've always defended furries, and I don't know, I just think they're cool. The way that I think most fandoms are pretty cool. I just like art, y'all. I just like art. But a lot of my feelings about my gender and my body image come from the ways that I've identified with furry art. And I don't think that's shameful. I don't think that's a thing that I need to, like, apologize for, because there's no right or wrong way to ask this question about gender and arrive at an answer. Everybody's path is different, and no one, like, if clowns are your thing, and you use clown ideology as a means of exploring your gender, more power to you, okay? I don't think that anybody should be shamed as long as they're not hurting other people and their ideology doesn't inherently threaten the existence of other people. That's sort of where I stand. What you do with yourself is good. It's it's up to you. I kind of took this off on a wild tangent here, but that's where we are. We're living our best lives here in the trans-questioning, head-questioning quarters. What? Whatever. Obviously... The solution here is to petition for fully automated luxury gay space communism. Is that the phrase? Such that we can advance medical science to the point where I can have like all sorts of. Uh, oh my God, I love this term. This isn't really the term that I was going for, but it just popped into my brain. Teledildonics, which is. teledildonics is uh, a phrase for sex toys that are basically hooked up to the internet and allow the simulation of sexual activity between two people who are geographically distant from one each other that's so fucking cool like that's so cool and also that term is so good. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Petition for a future where we can press a button and become uh, weird, gross gender monsters at, at a whim. And to hell with God's plan, because we are the new flesh. This took a weird turn. <laughs> Alright, that's going to do it for this week of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I once again want to thank Lunar Light Studio for bringing me on to the network, and I'm very excited for what our partnership promises in the near and far future. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, etc., you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me an anonymous question over at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning. You can find the podcast on Twitter at transqpodcast. You can find me on Twitter at hmsnofun. If you like what I do and you want to support me making more, go over to patreon.com slash ltas to give me as little as a dollar a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually helps me a great deal 
and it's a much more stable source of giving than giving me more money because if more people give me just like a dollar y'all feel less strapped month to month that's 12 bucks a year which isn't that much but if a bunch of people are giving me 12 bucks a year that adds up for me and it doesn't add up as much for you so if you can't if you know if you want to give me more money that's great but if you feel guilty about not being able to give me more that's totally fine too one dollar patrons are the backbone of anybody's patreon campaign and that's sort of another wild tangent here on the trans questioning tangent podcast the tangent questioning podcast oh lord Oh god, this is the ad zone. What am I doing? The intro music is by Zoestra. The cover art is by Deerwitch. Please, if you can, give this podcast a like or a comment or share wherever it is that you do your podcasts. It really does actually help. And I don't encourage y'all to do that enough. And I don't do that enough for the podcasts that I like. But it is a tangible way to support the podcast that you love, including this one. And uh, it does help because algorithms, that's all I'll say about that. Thank you as always for listening to this podcast and I will see you again next week. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. 